This is Keep Up. I'm your host, Cynthia Dill. It's Friday, June 2nd, and I'm in my Portland, Maine studio, but I'm going to play for you a recording of a talk I gave today at the Portland Rotary Club. It was a privilege and an honor to appear at the Italian Heritage Center in Portland before a lively group and talk about what else but community housing and affordable housing and public policy. So give a listen. Good afternoon, President Jones, esteemed Rotarians, and honorable guests. My name is Cynthia Dill, and it's a pleasure to be here uh, to, to talk about affordable housing. And it feels really good to be here in this place uh, because it reminds me of my parents. My mother is Italian, and her family is first-generation Italians, and therefore I know the magic of the Mediterranean diet, and I love being in the Italian Heritage Center. And on my father's side of the family is my rotary roots. And as you can see in this picture, um, rotary in our family goes way back. My, gra- my grandfather, Fred Dill, is the man under the, the letter C in the mayo pack and sign. So like... <laughs> The, the Dills were a mob at Rotary when I was growing up, and I have wonderful, fond, and formative memories of attending Rotary meetings, and at the time, the Rotarians wore little hats, and we would go to Rotary suppers, and it was a joyful and meaningful experience as a child to see my father and my grandfather and my uncles participate in Rotary, and it instilled in me the values that you have of service above self. And in Carmel, New York, I attended Rotary as a child, and when I would come out of Rotary with my cousins, the Rotary suppers were very formal. They had tablecloths, soup to nuts, dinners. Um, We'd come out of the Rotary Hall, and across on the banks of Lake Lanida, was a statue of Sybil Luddington, who is the female Paul Revere of the Revolutionary War. And so it was just a very inspiring childhood to have rotary and service um, instilled in me. And so you're probably wondering, okay, so what does this have to do with affordable housing and why are you here as an affordable housing speaker when you're not a member of rotary and you're a former politician? and a lawyer, and the reason why is because (laughs) as a trial lawyer and as a politician, you tend to become a short-term local expert in a lot of issues. For instance, my recent case in federal court against the state of Maine involving the Maine Analysis Information Center, otherwise known as the MIAC, after a five-day jury trial that I won on behalf of a wonderful client, I was the expert on that topic. And one day during the pandemic, I woke up to learn that a a so-called affordable housing development was going to be built literally across the street from my house in Cape Elizabeth. And that began my journey into the housing issue. And the proposal was by a very reputable developer, many of whom you know, Uh, The Zanton Company has done great things around the state using the low-income tax cut, low-income tax credit that many of you are familiar with that helps finance housing projects 
There's a number of successes that you can point to in Portland and surrounding communities where the low-income tax credit resulted in beautiful apartment buildings that housed people in desperate need of housing. So where I think we can all come together is that we agree that there's housing shortage. It's a crisis for people who are without means and without homes. In Cape Elizabeth, there's not a lot of people in crisis. Um, Cape Elizabeth is unique in the sense that in Maine, it's a very affluent town. Our economy, the numbers are just different than the economies in some of the metropolitan areas. And so what made the low-income tax credit projects so attractive in some communities just didn't work for Cape Elizabeth. And I'll just give you an example of why. The project that is known as Dunham Court that was going to be put in the center of our town, right across from our Blue Ribbon Public Schools, was designed to meet the formula to compete for the housing credits. And the formula is very specific and it's cookie cutter. And, and it resulted in 49, the proposal was 49 one bedroom units that were restricted to low income families, which is, is really good in areas where, where that meets the need. But in Cape Elizabeth, what that meant was that no kids and families could really live in these units because who wants to share a bedroom with a parent? And none of the teachers could live there because the income restriction was so low that all of our workforce in Cape Elizabeth made above it. Because in Cape Elizabeth, our biggest employer is the town. So our workforce is mostly teachers, firefighters, police officers, and all of them, with the exception of maybe a few part-timers, made above $42,000. So we were proposed a project that was across the street from our great schools where kids couldn't live, teachers couldn't live. And it was 100% publicly funded. And it meant we have to really sort of cut up our zoning ordinance incredibly. It was, it was gonna be exceed the height limits by about 10 feet a big, huge footprint. Currently, our ordinance says that if we're going to have housing in the town center, which is where I own property with my husband, it has to be commercial on the first floor with the idea of building a village-style community where maybe a coffee shop. And this location was right on the town green. So it just wasn't a good fit for a lot of good reasons. But it was a hard sell because it was sold as affordable housing. And, and so then the question just becomes, well, what is affordable housing? Who are we building it for? And, um, and in Cape Elizabeth, it was a very, very difficult, divisive issue that maybe you read about in the paper. <laughs> and it was really difficult to articulate some of the principal reasons people were opposed to this project because it was very, very expensive and it wasn't gonna meet our needs as a community. And so I organized, I, I got out of politics, thought I would never return, 
well, politics is local, and when you have a project that's going to be built across the street from your house, you just you can't ignore it. And so I, I dove in and and tried to advocate for changes and was unsuccessful and tried to convince the majority of the town council that they should do things differently. I, with others, long story short is the council voted on the project and within 20 days, a bipartisan group of volunteers, I was working with, I'm um, registered as a Democrat, but I think in today's politics, I'm a conservative Democrat. I once was called a progressive, I think now I'm a conservative Democrat, I don't know, but this group of people that worked to defeat this housing project known as Dunham Court was multi, I mean, we, all walks of life, Republicans, Dem Democrats, independents, people from Delano Park, people who were on subsidized housing came together and worked against this proposal. And as many of you know, Dunham Court did not get built. And, and thankfully, the Zanton Company has gone on to greener pastures, and we know this because we keep reading about their great success, and I do wish them great success. So um, with great privilege, and it is a great privilege to live in Cape Elizabeth. It is a great privilege to be here before you. It's a great privilege. I. I I recognize my privilege. I have a healthy family, I have a good job, I have a loving family. And so with great privilege comes great responsibility. So it's not just enough to reject Dunham Court. I spent a lot of time in Augusta arguing, or not arguing, but advocating for changes to the housing law to take into account rural towns that don't want big apartment buildings, that we want to do affordable housing, and we want to do affordable housing for kids. And that was my pitch. It's like, this building that you want to build, it, it's not good for kids. It, you know, it's just not good for kids. And Cape Elizabeth, we love kids. We, we, those are our values. We put a lot of money in our schools because we want families to be there and, and, and for kids to thrive. And that's what we can offer the world. That's what we can offer the, the state is, is be a place where families can grow. So what we're working on in Cape Elizabeth, and this is exciting, the idea is community housing and the concept is quite simple. In Cape Elizabeth, we own, as a town, a big parcel of land called Gullcrest. It consists of about 265 acres now. And the beauty of it is that one of our forefathers, Thomas Jordan, a Revolutionary War hero, and his wife Mary didn't have children, so they left this land in Cape Elizabeth for the purpose of helping residents in need, people who need a place to live. For a long time, it was called the poor farm when that was you know, politically acceptable. But it was a very functioning way for a community to help people in need. And so that land is still available. And it's in our town. And it's zoned for housing. And so the idea is we're going to take 10 acres of public land, and we're going to do an affordable housing development that meets the needs of our community. And those needs are seniors who want to downsize, our workforce, which is not low income, our workforce in Cape Elizabeth, they make above $42,000. And we're going to do starter homes for families, families from all over, <laughs> because we believe that that's what we can do as a town and, and contribute to the world. So, so what we're up against, what's so interesting, is, is the politics of housing, like the politics of everything, is very messy. 
it, it, it's incredibly messy. And, and there's a slide I was going to show you, but I think maybe I'll skip it just because I don't want to get caught up in technology. But during the fight over Dunham Court, when I was trying to articulate the principal reasons for being against a project that was going to cost $14 million of public money, that was going to be worth $4 million, that was for a for-profit corporation, let's face it, I mean, the developers of affordable housing are in it for the business, and they should be, but it's a government program that just didn't meet our needs, and for that, I was accused of racism by the housing advocate for, of, of a regional chamber of commerce. I mean, in a public dialogue, you know, just accused of, of racism, and and so then the, the question just becomes, well, is it is it racist to try to preserve what's good in Cape Elizabeth and try to do housing, affordable housing that can accommodate families and kids? I don't think so. And so while I hope that the good values that were instilled by my family to put service above self is what's motivating my drive to do affordable housing in Cape Elizabeth, to be honest with you, I also am a little bit of a competitive person. And so when I was challenged <laughs> by the housing advocate, come up with something better, I took that challenge. And so I want Cape Elizabeth to lead, not follow. I want us to be making affordable housing that instead of catering to the deal, and that's what a lot of these low-income tax credit projects do, is that they have to meet certain requirements to get the tax credits. And it's very technical. And so therefore, it doesn't take the needs of the families into account. It takes the needs of the developer and the algorithms. So. It's a good idea, community housing, and the politics are gonna get in the way a little bit, um, but I'm working through it, and I hope, because, like I said, with great privilege comes great responsibility, and I think as a town in Cape, we have the highest uh, uh, area income, I think. We have the highest number of educated people, so if we can't do affordable housing for kids in Cape Elizabeth, then I, don't, I, I, I hope somebody else can. But stay tuned. Don't write off Cape Elizabeth as you know, an elitist town. It's it. It's not that. It's just that the cookie cutter model of affordable housing that you see around Maine is based on a public policy of the low income tax credit that's good for some communities and not good for all. And and I'm driven to continue to try to make housing for families because it's not just it's not just a competition. It's not just to come up with a good idea. I have in my real life, my life as a lawyer do work for people of all walks of life and civil rights. And I have, a, I have a family from El Salvador and they live in a mobile home in Charter Oaks Mobile Home Park. And I think I will try to just... This is housing. This is housing for a family, uh, a, a single mother and Three children live in this in this trailer. It was manufactured in 1970. It's on wheels, and um, and the pipes freeze all the time. There's a program in Maine, the Mobile Home Replacement Initiative, and this is the poster child for that program. The problem, again, is that there's a policy in place that says if you have a mobile home that's built before 1970, which this is, and you have 
a credit score above 640, which my client does, she has 672, and you meet the various other requirements, then the state has a program that says they'll pay to remove your old mobile home, and they'll give you a good mortgage to replace the new one. I have been working for over a year on trying to get this mobile home replaced. My client, who's a single mother, works one and a half jobs. She has saved $20,000 for a down, you know, a deposit. She works one and a half jobs. She has, she's a legal immigrant. She has all her income tax records. There's not a single bank in Maine that, that funds this program. So every, so my point is that public policy around housing and politics around housing is just mired in complexity. And it's really important to stay focused on um, the end user and whether or not we can kind of like turn these public policies into actual homes for families. So <laughs> the thing, and I, and I, I miss, the thing that's also um, important to note is that Charter, where this mobile home is, it's called Charter Oaks, and it's a mobile home park in Biddeford and Arundel. And Grow Smart Maine gave it a big award in 2019, celebrating this new mobile home park because it's a cooperative and it's going to enable people like my client to have long-term economic security. And there was a big ribbon coming ceremony. But the problem is that, so we have this mobile home park that was given an award. We have this program that there's flyers all over the place. But what they didn't think of is that this cooperative ownership model is what screws up all the financing. And so no bank will give it a mortgage. So my point is that low income tax credit, good idea, but it produces a project that isn't suitable for all communities. There's a lot of rural and suburban communities that want to do affordable housing for families. And those programs are not great. This is an example of one of them where it's glossy, it looks like it works, but there's a disconnect. So I would like for all of you to just, um, when you think about the housing issue, um, it's not the point I think a lot of people believe is necessary is that we just need more money, money, money into government programs to help these housing, help the housing crisis. And I think if you study the issue, you really realize that the housing shortage is a result of, of things that happened in the economy in 2008. There's a lot of supply and demand issues. There's a lot of labor issues. It's not just that towns are racist. It's not just that people are NIMBY. It's not just that we as a community don't care about homelessness. It's a complicated issue. Everyone has to do their part. Cape Elizabeth as a community, we're stepping up. We have a housing diversity study committee that is going to put community housing on a survey. We're going to study it. That town council, I'm going to encourage them to recommend it. We're going to be building on 10 acres of land. You've heard it here. 10 acres of public land in Cape Elizabeth. There's going to be housing for seniors, there's going to be starter homes for new families, and there's going to be workforce housing, and we're going to do it in a way that is good for kids, good for families, good for taxpayers. And I hope that you'll all keep an open mind when it comes to 
affordable housing and, and some of the struggles that communities are, are having with this issue and not immediately assume that because you're against a project that you're a NIMBY or a racist. And with that, I would love to We're take any questions. questions. Yeah. Yes. And that's it. Until next time, this is Cynthia Joe signing off.